BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey folks, it's Matt Zachary and welcome to Vax On, a weekly segment of my podcast out of patience right here on the Offscript Network. Hey, I'm Alora Nanos. I'm a lawyer, a journalist, a mom of a teenage narcoleptic, and a professional big mouth. Lou and I go back 30 years as best friends, and we're here to have fun and bring you a layperson's guide to what the hell just happened this week in healthcare as America gets its vax on and shows COVID the door. We're here together to learn, complain, and include you in the conversation. So join us on Twitter at VaxOnPod and share your stories and grievances using the hashtag VaxOn. All right, Matt, let's get at it. So it's VaxOn Day. Welcome to VaxOn. And here today, I have Andrew McDowell with me. Andrew. How you doing, Allura? I'm doing wonderfully. And I hear that you are joining us from down in sunny Miami, Florida. I am. It's true. It's a it's a it's beautiful down here. I'm close to the beach. It is a delight and a privilege to be down here. Miami always seems like it would be a delight. Are you having all kinds of yumminess? The food is very very good. It's fantastic. I'm 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 eating a lot of uh, a lot of fish down oh. here. An advisable thing to do for anyone. Is it fish you've heard of? <laughs> <laughs> it's all fish that I've heard of. No, because uh, I so what <laughs> So you know I'm I'm a foodie, right? And and I find that when I go places, I often am confronted with fish that I've never heard of before and I feel like it's a win when I have a new fish and I enjoy it and it's something that I've never heard of. So like that's <laughs> that's my little food adventure. So. Yes, I've I've had salmon, I've had tuna. I'm I'm not exploring too too broadly. Maybe I okay. should uh, take a page from your book and do you so should. tonight. Yes, I'm a very adventurous beverager and I'm a very adventurous fish eater. So like, I love it when people can confuse me on menus. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. it's 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 lovely down here. Uh, the, the weather's great. The beach is, of course, stunning. Uh, I do understand the draw. Yeah. Have you seen Ron DeSantis? Yeah, he's he's right here. Do you, do you want to talk to him? <laughs> yeah, we can have him be a, be a guest on Vags On. I'm sure he has a lot to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he he does. And actually, he's very busy right now. He saw a bunch of people walk by downstairs. So he's out on the veranda yelling at them to to take their masks off. Yes, he's just he's going to bludgeon them. <laughs> he's doing he's doing that important work. You need to be free. Take the mask off. Yes, you're. Yeah. So experience your freedom uh, by having the governor of your state yell at you to tell you to do this and that with your face. Yeah, that's always fun. Or with your business, you know, if it's Florida. <laughs> um, so, so this has been the first week here in New Jersey where kids do not have to wear masks to school. And, um, you know, it is on one hand, really nice to see kids faces. On the other hand, it's freaking me out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfamiliar. This this thing that used to be extremely unfamiliar to us is now the norm. And uh, there's there's a norm change taking place. Hopefully we're able to continue going down the path 
of being safely mask-free, or at least uh, mask-optional. Also, we have to discuss the the dark side of taking our masks off, Mm. which is we're back to a situation where we can smell people's bad breath. <laughs> so I, I, do you and, we're gonna, about? And, and we're going to catch the flu again. No, I'm not. I refuse. I, I refuse to catch the flu. I refuse to get sick. I'm just letting you know right now. My, yeah. my iron will is going to protect me. Yeah. You know, uh, there, there, <laughs> there are lots of big wide open spaces down here in Florida, the convention center being one of them where I'm attending an event. Uh, but it continues to be the case when, when I go into a small, poorly ventilated space filled with lots of other humans, I put my mask on. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, to, to me, it, it kind of makes sense to, to have been doing that throughout my entire life, we, COVID or not. We should do not. that always. Yeah. I, whenever I'm in a small place now with a lot of people, I immediately feel like we should have been doing this forever because I have like a serious fear of stomach viruses. Because they're like the worst things ever. And you know how like when there's one child in your kid's class who has a stomach virus, like, you know, everyone's going down. Sure. Right. Because that's just always how it is. And I feel like if this could not be the case, because we could just have sick kids wear masks or we can wear masks or whatever in confined areas like that would make me so happy. I know it's not entirely realistic, um, but but I would support that because I just can't stand any of that. Yeah, I think that we really just need to be adults about this. Uh, of course, it's delightful that it's becoming a little bit more possible to think about not wearing a mask in certain situations. But the fact is, there's not, no measure that we can take or that anybody is taking that can prevent another variant from showing up. So we need to be prepared. We need to be diligent. We need to be grown-ups, uh, And we need to be able to adjust as necessary. Uh, and and to my mind, the only thing that prevents us from being adults is tying your position on masks to your political identity. That's what prevents people from thinking clearly about what's really a pretty simple topic. Yeah, it would be good if people created their political identity based on actual politics, you know, like actual important issues about government and laws and things that are actually political and not nonsense. Like, you know, uh, I think we should wear masks. I don't think we should wear masks. That's not an actual difference between different political agendas. That's just something that people like to complain about and they equate with politics and it, it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, there are reasonable people can disagree about the role of government in certain situations. But when it comes to, you know, whether or not it's healthier to wear a mask in certain situations or, it, you know, become vaccinated or whatever it is, we shouldn't confuse that with actual issues of government. But people do. Uh, and it's highly regrettable. People see an, a political advantage to issues that will drive people to the polls. Yes. Uh, and if if you are a politician who decides that it's worth it to get your hooks into people's fears, people's insecurities, people's doubts about themselves, and to leverage them to activate them, then you are not leading a good life. That's exactly right. Those are strong words from Mr. McDowell. That's my position. Yes. Speaking of being an adult, do you know who is really an adult, almost like an extra adult? (laughs) Who's that? The Queen of England. Oh, segue. 
<laughs> you like that? I thought I that like was it. a really smooth segue. So, <laughs> so, so here on Vaxon in the past, we have covered both Queen Elizabeth's unfortunate COVID-19 diagnosis and Prime Minister of Canada Justin Trudeau's dealing with the trucker convoy mm. over in Ottawa. So what would be better than to bring these two things together? Is that possible? It is. It is two great tastes that go great together. <sighs> we have a story that involves both Queen Elizabeth and Justin Trudeau. My goodness. Tell me more. Well, apparently Queen Elizabeth is just doing great. She's all recovered from her COVID. She had canceled a bunch of public appearances, but she's back in action. And for her first official post-COVID event, she hosted Justin Trudeau. It's a blockbuster in the making. <laughs> It is, though, isn't it, though? Um, I have to tell you, I, I, I mean, I don't know. They didn't tell me what they talked about. But, you know, there's important stuff going on over there in Europe. And Trudeau is in the UK for talks about the war in Ukraine. And good for them. I'm just glad she's doing well. Um, the Prince of Wales said his mother is doing much better. So that's great. But there's a but there's a, well, not a but to her health. I mean, that that's great. She's doing well. And that's terrific. Um, so there's this incredibly bizarre story about the queen and um, her being alive. <laughs> Have you heard about this, Andrew? <laughs> no, I haven't. So just as I'm reporting that she's recovered from COVID and she's doing well, it turns out that just two days after Queen Elizabeth tested positive for COVID, this news outlet called Hollywood Unlocked published a story with the headline, Exclusive, Queen Elizabeth is Dead. Hollywood Unlocked? What is that? I, it's some news website that I, I don't know a lot about it. I don't know about its origins, but I do know this. I, I went on on to Hollywood Unlocked. Nothing seems overtly sinister about it. It seems like a news website that has everything from political news to entertainment news. The headlines don't seem particularly salacious. They seem like normal news headlines. So while it's not a news outlet that I'm really familiar with, I can't say that anything about it seems like really suspicious. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's a nonsense news site, but this this piece that was published, it read that sources close to the royal kingdom notified them exclusively that Queen Elizabeth passed away. She had been scheduled to attend a wedding and she was found dead and didn't show up. Now, the founder of this news website says we do not post lies and I stand by the story. And he even said that he had like inside information. He was contacted by someone else at this wedding who said that Queen Elizabeth wasn't there and that she had passed away. Um, so that's not true. She's alive. Appalling. <laughs> I know, Appalling. right? And and I'll tell you what makes me think that perhaps the it really was some type of odd but honest mistake. The founder of the website has now put out a statement that says, um, although I've never been wrong when breaking a story, but this is a time that I'm happy to have been wrong because she's alive and everything is fine. And my sources somehow got this wrong. And I sincerely apologize. That sounds like a good apology to me. It sounds like it really you know, was a mistake. Um, but isn't that bizarre <laughs> that she was reported to be dead and she's totally not? It's deeply disturbing. And uh, and it presumably got a lot of play. It seems like a case study in in misinformation, intentional or not. And, you know, I think I think it's important to highlight the fact that, you know, Vaxon is a show that talks not only about the approaches that we take to 
uh, preventing the spread of a virus, a biological virus. But, you know, marching hand in hand with that effort is an attempt to talk about sources of bad information and the, the ways in which bad information is, is often the biggest friend of the virus. Uh, this seems like an offshoot of that conversation, right? So, yeah. you know, the, the way that misinformation works, just just to review, is that it works please, best. Professor McDowell, please review for us. How does it work? <laughs> it works like this. Are you going to give me that quote about, you know, the, the lie gets halfway around the world before the truth puts its pants on? Uh, yes. I mean, that was Mark Twain. And I believe he talked about boots rather than pants. Um, oh, okay. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, in my world, yeah. I'm thinking about Mark Twain's pants. So. Yes, I, 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 I like, I like picturing the the pants that truth wears. But the point is this: the point, the, the point I was going to make is this: the thing that you want to believe is the thing that bad actors are going to have the easiest time convincing you are true. I think that that's a really important point. Yeah, you got to look very closely at your own desires your own picture idealized picture of the world and when facts line up with that picture you gotta you gotta apply a filter you gotta take a step back like a curmudgeon filter like look at everything with oh, this kind of skepticism yes i like that phrase so the curmudgeon filter yes where you look at everything and you're like i don't know that doesn't sound right yeah. and, wait know, a wait a minute andrew you're feeling a little bit too happy about this new story are, yeah what is the source have you have you heard of hollywood unlocked before <laughs> yeah you know it's funny I, I i actually get into the most fights on social media not because i'm debating my opinion versus someone else's opinion but rather because i cannot hold myself back when someone posts something that to me is obviously untrue when i then post like a website showing them why it's not true or why the website is a bullshit website or what the actual truth is people get really angry yes um, because you are you are fucking with that picture that they enjoy yeah. having in their minds it's interesting to me because I think we have a predisposition to believe that people get most angry when they're fighting about their opinion versus someone else's opinion. But I don't actually find that to be the case. I actually find that people are very willing to debate their opinions. It's when you challenge someone's perceived facts that they get furious because all of us have a, some level of unwillingness to part with what we believe to be factual. And I think that that's really what gets people the most when they say, well, I believe this to be a, an objective fact and then you prove them wrong. It just makes people's heads explode. I would like to submit an addition to most people's definition of what it means to be a grown up. Oh, please do. Most most people think that being a grown up means having advanced beyond a certain age, perhaps having started a family perhaps having em embarked upon a serious career, being able to support yourself, living by yourself, fine. Those are all valid components. But I think the picture's incomplete unless you can be the sort of person who changes your mind when compelling contrary evidence is put in front of you. Only a rare breed can do that. And those are the people that humanity depends on. Professor McDowell, that is quite a gauntlet. I mean, 
I think that that is entirely true. I also feel like that's not something I hear people say that often because that is entirely apolitical, right? That's an entirely neutral statement to say, listen, the, the real mark of maturity is being able to admit that information is incorrect to yourself and to change your mind that's based on that information. And that's a really important point. Wouldn't it be great to initiate, this is an idea that just popped into my head, to initiate a day where on social media, you spend the day going back through past conversations you've had and admitting you're wrong. Holy cow. What would we call it? Think back to your last argument and think about maybe the argument that, that you decided to simply walk away from because it wasn't going the direction you wanted it to head in. Maybe you can return to that conversation, look closely at the information that people were sharing with you. And if you were wrong, admit it. International Reconsider Your Position Day. Yeah. Marches in parallel with the Day of Atonement. <laughs> oh, boy. Maybe you could create one of those Facebook frames. and Because um, I, I hear that when you can do that and, it, and it's catchy, um, then that's the way to get that off the ground. <laughs> Input welcome. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have some other news for you, by the way. Let's hear it. It's not good news. Oh, lovely. Is this going to run contrary to my idealized picture of the world? Well, it depends. How's your idealized picture of your own brain doing? <laughs> um, uh, I, I enjoy <laughs> having it, and I'd like to continue doing so. Well, uh, I'm here to report that COVID may shrink your brain. What? I know. Um, it's, it's not good. And, and I have not had COVID. You have, in fact, had COVID, correct? I have. Okay, well, listen to these shitty statistics. There was a study, and it involved 785 participants aged 51 to 81. So this study was published in the journal Nature. That's the name of the journal. 785 people, they got brain scans three years apart. 401 of those participants, so about half of them, got COVID, and the other half did not get COVID. And all 401 who caught COVID, all showed on their second brain scan that they had brain shrinkage. Brain shrinkage. Right. This is like worse than shrinkage from going in the pool. This is brain shrinkage. And <laughs> it, was, it, it is. <laughs> I got you there, didn't I? Um, George so Costanza. It, it, yep. This is shrinkage of the part of the brain that relates specifically to smell. So that would explain why well, I, I actually I don't know it, it, chicken and egg kind of thing. I don't know if it's like that's why uh, people who had COVID classic lost their sense of smell or like they lost their sense of smell. And then that's why that part of the brain shrunk. I don't really know how that works, but that's what it showed. Well, that's atrocious news. This is not a pleasant story. Is was the name of the journal by any chance uh, Nature Unlocked? <laughs> Unfortunately, it no. was actually the highly esteemed, rigorously peer-reviewed journal Nature. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much how it's going. So that's what's happening in the world of shrinking brains. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Have you had your brain checked lately? I have not had my brain checked lately. Uh, I will, as, a, as an aside, though, um, suggest that people uh, get screened for cancer if they are of age. Um, I was recently listening to a really spectacular show produced here on Offscript Health called The Big Screen. And 
it's it's a great show. Everyone should listen to I it. I like it, that uh, little double entendre there, like the big screen, like movies, but also the big screen, like get yourself screened. Love exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. It also tells the the rather, you know, in, in the vein of really bad news, the fact that there are going to be far more people dying of cancer in the coming years as a result of the fact that so many people did not get their cancer screenings during the period of time when we were all hiding from one another due to COVID-19. Wow, you it's, just took my shrinkage story and just made it worse. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, thanks, but thanks the, for that. The, 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 the major impact of this show, though, I hope, will be that people will do what I did after listening to it, which is to sign up for any screenings that ought to be on their schedule given their age or medical history. Uh, I got a lung cancer screening because I unwisely smoked for almost 10 years. It's <gasps> true. Uh, yes, I know. In my, in my 20s. Uh, and so I went and got a lung cancer screening. And I, I, I also uh, got a colonoscopy because uh, that is on my schedule now that I'm 49 years old. Is that when it starts? 49? Uh, I believe the actual uh, age has become 45 over the past couple of years. I think what I would suggest is that you you look into it, ask your doctor what screenings you ought to be getting and go get them. Yes, I was. I actually just went to a uh, skin cancer screening just yesterday, um, which is the type of screening I am most negligent about on my own. Mm. Um, I don't have a lot of skin issues, so I tend not to go to the dermatologist as often as I should. But I have a friend who is She's like the dermatology police, and she's always there to remind me, hey, don't forget to go get your screening. And, you know, I swear it's because she tells me that I make the appointment and do it. And I think that those kind of peer-to-peer communications are really the most effective uh, in the world. On In some ways, they're even more effective than your doctor telling you. When your friends encourage you to have healthy habits, like going to annual checkups and going to screenings, um, I don't know, it just it feels different. And I'm unlikely to just ignore that. And um, and we should all be doing that for each other more and more. So thank you for that reminder, Andrew. Here, here. Yeah. I mean, be that friend. Remind your friends, the people you love, the people you want to spend more time with in this life. Encourage them to take care of themselves. Go to their checkups. Yeah. Absolutely. Good advice here at Faxon. Here, here. On that note, have some ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back. 
Ooh, those were good ads. They were good ads. Andrew, um, we're about to have a collective sir moment. Yes. <laughs> so as you know, we have a kind of in with the 1.3 million doctors who participate on Sermo. Uh, Sermo is a social media platform just for physicians. And each week we ask them a series of survey questions and we get answers back from these doctors. We thought it might be fun to ask the doctors what's happening in the world of ivermectin. Ivermectin. Ooh, it's a it's a it's a classic uh, meme from from the the two year experience of COVID-19. Yeah, it is. And what's interesting to me, having looked over these survey results, physicians across the world do not feel quite as black and white about ivermectin as I would have believed. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, they don't. So we asked the doctors, in your professional opinion, do you believe that the human version of ivermectin is an effective treatment for COVID-19 symptoms? So I would have expected that the majority of these doctors said ivermectin's a bunch of bullshit. It's not real. And actually... The results show 62% of the doctors said, no, it's not a good treatment. But still, a whole 38% of the doctors said that, yes, they do believe that it's an effective treatment. It's higher than I would have expected. Yeah, that's that's quite curious. Uh, and, you know, it, it does it, it does get at the fact that, that this is a very, very large, wide-ranging population of doctors that we have access to through Sarmo. Yeah. I, we we even asked them about sort of the future of ivermectin. Um, you know, we said, do you think that there's any merit behind using the human version of ivermectin to treat COVID-19 as a potential remedy? Like, like do, do we think that maybe this is going to be something we do? And again, we had 35% said yes and 65% no. We also asked about the need to f study ivermectin a little more. And 70% of the doctors said, yeah, it should be studied more. We should do more research to find out if there is any potential. Um, so, I mean, I'm all for studying things, right? Like, go ahead, study it. I'm, it it's not like I know if it's going to work or not work. Um, I certainly don't think it should be used until it's studied. Um, and based on what I've heard, it doesn't sound likely that it's going to be very helpful. But like, OK, sure, go ahead and study it. It's it's curious to wonder why it is that doctors do hew to this medication that that seems to have had uh, only coincidental effects, um, according to uh, everything that I've seen. But uh, by by no means should we weigh in on this information, other than to share what uh, the Sermo poll uh, found. It it you know it is striking though that now that we do have this demonstrably useful uh, COVID-19 treatment from Pfizer that uh, that there are still people who are looking to ivermectin as their 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 source of uh, relief in the face yeah. of COVID-19 symptoms. To me, the weirdest thing about the whole ivermectin thing is that people, non-medical professionals, were so certain that they wanted this drug, that it would be helpful to them, that it would not be harmful to them, that they were out there, some of them filing lawsuits, some of them simply demanding that they be treated with ivermectin. There were even a few cases where people were violent in hospitals demanding ivermectin. Um, and I felt like those people could have used a better curmudgeon filter. Like exactly. These yeah. Like, yes. I, I can't imagine any situation in my life where I would demand a particular drug just because I, I don't know, watched it on television and it sounded good. That, I mean, that's com completely crazy to me. 
Yeah. If, if, if your political identity is coming into play, uh, if you find yourself feeling like uh, another group of people is somehow winning and that you're losing when a doctor recommends a medication to you, then you ought to take a step back and turn on your convention filter, if at all possible. Yeah. I, I, I even find like it, it sort of makes me uncomfortable when I'm in a doctor's office and the doctor prescribes medication that I've heard of from a television commercial because I always feel like, wait, are, am I getting it? because the doctor heard of it from the TV <laughs> or is it really the right one? Like I'm extra skeptical if it's a medication that I've heard of. I'd yeah. rather it be something that I've never heard of. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know that that makes any medical sense, but that's just kind of my own personal opinion on the matter. Yeah. I mean, it, as, as with everything, if, if politics is somehow coming into play as you think about how you're facing and confronting this issue, um, then it's time to take a step back and, 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 and look at what, look at the best source of sources of information that you can find. Yeah. I mean, it's also time to get a hobby. Like, like honestly, your politics shouldn't be influencing medication or anything else you put in your body. Like your politics shouldn't help you decide what to eat for dinner, you know, what to wear, what, what, what to take for illnesses. I mean, politics should influence how you vote. But beyond that, like make your own decision, get information that is not political in nature wherever you can exiting soapbox now. Um, would you like to hear another really annoying story? Ooh, an <laughs> annoying story, you say. One that will I, I make mean, me uncomfortable and unhappy. Bring yes, it on. Yes, that is what I'm here for. Um, so I read this story in The New York Times about American mask production companies and you know, I, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, several companies started producing fabric face masks. And some of them even were, were companies that I was already familiar with. I know I have a friend who owns a small clothing company, and he stopped production of dress shirts and started producing masks. And I oh, I loved these stories. I was like, oh, look at that wonderful pivot. You know, isn't that great? But there is sort of a, a not so pleasant side of American companies producing in, in this story, PPE, these are like, you know, um, surgical face masks and gloves and other personal protective equipment. So the story is primarily about this guy, Mike Bowen, and he's an American and he knew all the way back in 2005 that there was going to be a predictable problem in the U.S. when it comes to supply chain and PPE. And he he made sure that his company could meet the demand whenever it came about. And it did come about because the swine flu happened. Remember that? Mm, yeah, sure. I think it was like 2007, I think, right? So the swine flu ended up not being as bad as we initially predicted, but it did cause a spike in people needing PPE. And so what happened was this guy's company did really well. They supplied lots of PPE um, to meet the demand because it was kind of immediate demand in the response to swine flu. But the minute the swine flu crisis ended, all of those same customers started buying their PPE back from China again because it was much cheaper, which was problematic for this company. Um, but it stayed in business. And when the COVID pandemic happened, again, it this company supplied lots of PPE. And again, it was good. And, and it's not the only company. Other companies did the same thing. Um, and they essentially, they rallied and they met the demand. And that was a good thing. But again, as soon as the pandemic kind of subsided, as soon as the demand from the pandemic subsided, 
hospitals, retailers, government agencies, they started to buy PPE from China again. Um, in, in, in some part, because Chinese manufacturers are selling this stuff at lower than market rate just for the purpose of eating up that market share again. So My now goodness. it's terrible. So now these American companies are really struggling, um, having to lay people off, some of them having to close down. And, and it's really a problem. You know, I, I don't I don't know exactly what to do about this. And I'm not an economist, so I don't know kind of what the right answer is. But I do feel like it's incredibly frustrating and really unfortunate. Yeah, it it, it, it truly is. Um, and it, it does make you wonder if there is a set of incentives or measures that can that can be put forward by the government that. Uh, makes it possible for companies that provide material that is necessary in an emergency to survive as stable businesses in the face of unfair competition from China and from any other country that might put together programs that are designed to break the backs of good companies like those of Mike Bowen. But Andrew... Wouldn't that be increasing the administrative state? <laughs> Don't <laughs> it's, tell it's, Neil Gorsuch, he'll freak out. It's all about striking a balance between freedom and safety. Uh, I just love that. And I just want a little graphic where there's a scale, <laughs> you know, some kind of good cartoon graphic where there's a scale and there's like a flag on one side. And I don't know, something that means safety on the other side, like a seatbelt or something. Um you, you need to figure out where where to place your marker between those two elements. You can't pretend that the other doesn't exist. I mean, people can. <laughs> it's just not smart. You shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. I think that is really important. And I feel like, you know, if there were ever a time to, you know, buy American and be loyal to American companies, I feel like it's this. It's when we're talking about companies that have rallied to help us through a pandemic, and and by the way, you know, Andrew, I don't know if you listened to Vax on, but a while back, oh, we yeah. did this. We did a story about uh, latex gloves imported from overseas that when they got to the United States to hospitals, they were actually found to have been contaminated with uh, blood and other disgustingness. Be and oh, they were no. Yes. And they were they were dyed blue to look like they weren't used, but they were used surgical gloves. And. It, it was what struck me about the story is that, first of all, we were universally horrified by it. Um, but also there was like no great solution for it because the hospitals that received them weren't necessarily reporting them. No one really knew what to do with them. No one really knew where they were coming from. It was kind of a mess. And I feel like, yes, they may may have been cheaper, but that is a, a such a serious risk. And if you're buying from an American company that has to abide by American manufacturing standards that you can trace back to them, they have to uh, they have exposure to a, the American legal system for liability. I mean, you can at least ensure that stuff like that isn't going to happen. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you may pay more, but it's like, you know, it has the potential to be a get what you pay for kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this also breaks into uh, a discussion of the the types of products that require more or less regulation. Uh, I I would think that uh, equipment that's designed that's meant to be used in a healthcare setting would, uh, of course, 
<laughs> require significantly more regulation and certainly eyes on any equipment that's being produced outside of the vision, the viewpoint, the field of view of U.S. regulatory agencies. Andrew, it sounds like you like government regulations. <laughs> you see, the thing is that this is not an all or nothing conversation, and it's childish when people pretend that it is. Uh, you know, is your position on government regulations that they are good or bad? Some people will actually try to answer that question, and that's nonsense. You need to do it the right way, you need to, and you don't need to do it the wrong way. Government is not a good or a bad thing. It's something that you, you should expect high-quality results from. And if the results are not high-quality, you do not destroy the government. No. When, when your roof is leaking, you don't burn your house down because houses are bad. You fix your house. I often say that government regulations should be used the way nutmeg is. Ooh, I like this. Yeah, so when you knew, when you use nutmeg the right way, it ends up being the perfect ingredient in whatever you're cooking. And often mm. you don't even notice that it's there, but it just adds something that's just perfect. If you use too much of it, though, it makes whatever you're cooking bitter. So it's, <laughs> it's really, it's not that nutmeg is good or bad. It's just that it has to be used with the right amount for whatever you're making. It must be deployed the right way. This is why people are tuning into Vexon, to get wonderful analogies and wisdom a la Andrew McDowell and Alora Nanos. <laughs> well, that's our episode for today. Andrew McDowell, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Alora Nanos. Thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode of Vaxon. Everyone, stay strong. Stay strong, everyone. Alora, I love talking to you, whether we are recording the conversation or not. Oh, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> I'm going to go reinforce my curmudgeon filter. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And find some fish to eat. <laughs> Cheers. Be well. <laughs> Bye, Andrew. Bye now. That's all for now. If you like Facts On, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your shit show of a healthcare story by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Vaxon is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seeley. Our hosts are Matthew Zachary and Alora Nanos. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seeley. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>